You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody, and again, welcome to Church at Home. Uh, if we remember, my name is Bernard, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I just want to thank you for tuning in. And um, today we're just going to do a little uh, one-shot message. So if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today, John 11. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just tell you a little story. Uh, a little while back, uh, one Sunday morning, back when church was in person, you may remember that that used to be a thing. And um, I, we, we were in the process of like breaking down, finishing up for the morning. And I had a, a young uh, teenage couple come up to me, a couple of students who I think they were dating, but I'm not sure. There was never like a boyfriend, girlfriend thing, but they had that vibe. You know, talk about like, that vibe. Where, like, if, if they weren't dating, they're were definitely interested. Like maybe they were about to be. Um, but anyway, this guy had brought his girlfriend maybe to church. And uh, we, we were talking, he was really excited about um, what was happening there. And this uh, was maybe her first time in church ever. And so she just asked me a question. She said, hey, I'm just curious. Like, okay, so like, there's this God. Like, you know, if God loves and God's all powerful, how come there's so much bad stuff in the world? Like, you know, and and you know, she's like, you know, why is there death? Why is there suffering and all that stuff? And, and, and you know, I think that's a, a question that a lot of us ask at points, and it's certainly a really, really popular one. Um, and the reason it's such a, uh, a popular question is because it— like the, the very nature of pain and suffering seems so incongruent with the nature of God, right? I mean, like if God is all powerful and we if, and we believe He is, and and if God loves us and we believe that He does, um, how come he, he lets so much terrible stuff happen in the world? And you know, we can talk about uh, how creation is broken. We can talk about how our first parents sinned uh, and rejected God's reign, and how uh, things are not as they should be, or how God, or even how God designed them to be, and how He's in the process. Of creation, but come on. Sometimes there's, there's stories that we read. I mean, we still pray, like even though we believe things aren't as they should be, we still ask God to heal. We still ask God to save, and and, and you know I've seen Him do those things, and other times I, I've seen Him not. And maybe that's where you've been. And, and if it's not, man, just give it some time because at some point, you know, if you continue this faith journey, here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is this: you're going to go through something, and uh, it's going to seem like. God is silent. God is absent. And you're just going to wonder, like, God, where were you? And, and what's going on with all of that? Like, just give it a time. What's going to happen is that God is not going to act the way that you think he should. And what do we do in those times? And how do we have peace? And, and that's really what we're going to talk about today in this message called The God at the Grave. Um, so the reason I want us to dig into John 11 particularly is because one of the things we've been talking about as we've been going through the Gospel of John is that, you know, when we look at the nature of Jesus, one of the things that, that John, the gospel writer, does is he goes out of his way to make us see that Jesus is God in a bod, right? That, that Jesus is God in human flesh. And if you're curious what God thinks, if you're curious how God responds to things, uh, then just look at Jesus in the gospel of John because we get a sort of snapshot behind the scenes of the nature of creation through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is true with suffering as well, as we're going to see uh, in John 11. So, in John 11, starting in verse 1, here's how our story goes. And let's just look at this and try to sort of put the pieces together in terms of, okay, how can God be good and there be bad things happening right here and right now? So here's what it says in John 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now is sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so what we discover from the outset, number one, is that Jesus has a relationship, a prior relationship with these people. That they're his friends, that he cares about them. On top of that, they're people of faith. Okay, like, like Mary, even before the cross and resurrection of Jesus, has demonstrated this supernatural faith in his messiahship and lordship that she's actually like poured perfume on his feet. Like she's so passionate about Jesus that like she's, you know, wiping with her hair. I mean, like that's a very, very powerful statement. So these are not spiritually indifferent people. These are not people that Jesus is angry at. In fact, it's just the opposite. He loves them. And so it says this in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, it is for God's glory that, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, so just to recap, Lazarus is sick. Jesus, we need you to come heal him. And Jesus goes, it's not going to end in death. And then he gives us the why. So before anything transpires that's bad, Jesus tells us exactly why what's about to happen is going to happen. And it's really, really simple, okay? That basically what he's saying is, okay, what's going to happen is, like, everything that happens with Lazarus, God's name is going to be glorified through his son. In other words, Lazarus's life is going to be used to bring people to faith in Jesus, to make them believe in him. You might hear that, and you might go, well, that seems kind of petty. Like, okay, this guy's life is on the line, so so why is believing in Jesus that important? I mean, you know, like, doesn't it seem kind of vain of God to basically mess with somebody's life or allow something terrible to happen to somebody's life for the sake of just believing in him? Like, I mean, that just seems so small. And I would just remind you, you know, like, believing in the Son is incredibly important because, number one, it's only through believing in the Son that you're saved. Like it's only through believing in Jesus that people will, will will have heaven forever. Like believing in the Son makes it so that death won't have victory over you. Believing in the Son wipes away your sin and gives you eternal life. And so what we're discovering from the outset is, okay, listen, something might happen to this one guy, but ultimately many, many people's lives will be saved from death as a result of what God does through him. Jesus is going to save lives through Lazarus's death. That's so our story continues. And what John does is he instantly, I mean, he just reiterates Jesus's feelings for this family. Verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and look at this name, Lazarus. I mean, just focus on that for a second here. Okay. John wants you to go, listen, okay, Lazarus is sick, but you know what? Jesus loves him. And the reason I want you to know that this morning is because like whatever you've gone through, there's something, if you're taking notes, just write this down. Really, really simple. I just, I feel the need to remind you that God never stopped loving you in the pain. He never did. God never stopped listening to you. Every tear that you shed was on his mind. It broke his heart. We're going to see that played out like crazy in all of this. But let's understand that whatever is going to happen with Lazarus, Jesus loves him. And so it says in verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, okay, so now things are going to get weird. All right, so like Lazarus is sick, please come. So what's Jesus' response going to be now that he knows this? Verse 6, when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Say what? 
I mean, that's, that's, that's weird, right? Because we would think that if Jesus loves Lazarus, he would do what we would do, okay? Like if, if we had the ability to heal somebody, what we would do is we would drop what we're doing. Apparently if it's something that we're, we're really partial towards, that we're crazy about, we'd drop everything to go be there to make sure that they aren't, like, you know, that they don't die, that everything ends well. But let's remember something, that, that God knows more than we do and he doesn't respond the way that we do because he knows more than we do. And so for whatever reason, what Jesus does is rather than rushing to Lazarus, he goes, Okay, we're going to stay here now. I mean, that's, that's weird. But our story continues, verse 7. And then he said to his disciples, okay, so after the two years, all right, let's go back to Judea. And, and upon hearing this, Jesus' disciples, they, they're not exactly favorable towards this idea because they remember that the last time Jesus was in Judea, people tried to kill him. And so they're like, oh, Lord, like we need to not go there. Like, you remember how bad it was? But jumping down to verse 11, here's what Jesus says. After he had said this, uh, he went on to tell them, our friend, here's why we're going back. Our friend, our friend, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And, and right here, Jesus introduces a term that, that his disciples would later adopt in the early church where he's talking about death. They stopped calling it death. They, they began to call it, like when somebody died, they called it falling asleep. And the reason they did that it's because, well, listen, when somebody sleeps, they wake up. And we're going to see this hope in the Christian faith as regards to death play out in this story. But so Jesus says, listen, he's fallen asleep. And what they hear is, oh, man, he's just taking a nap. And they go, they reply in verse 12. His disciples replied, Lord, well, listen, if he sleeps, he'll get better. So listen, Jesus, maybe you should just give him the rest. And, and by the way, it's weird, it's weird that nobody questions how Jesus knows that from miles away, Lazarus is asleep, but you know he's God. They, they figured it out. Okay, he knows. All right, so listen, shouldn't you just let him rest? And finally, Jesus says in verse 13, Jesus has been speaking about his death. His disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, all right, guys, guys, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And there it is again, right? Here's why. Here's the why of the situation, okay? Jesus is going to do something so that through it, lots of people are going to believe and be saved. Okay. Why did Lazarus die? Because ultimately creation is going to be redeemed through it. Like people, like their sins going to be wiped away. People are going to go to heaven as a result of this terrible thing. So it says, so that you may believe. But now Jesus goes, all right, but look, let, let's go to him. So jump on down to, to verse 22. So basically here's what happens. So Jesus, disciples, they go and they get there. And what they find is a funeral. They find people in mourning. They're wailing. They're, they're in legitimate grief. And Jesus kind of makes his way through the crowd. And he finds Lazarus's sister, Martha. And here's what she says in verse 21. Lord, Martha, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I like this line because um, I think Martha is us in this moment. I mean, this, like, Lord, if you had shown up, things wouldn't have gone the way that that we that, that they have. You know, like, Lord, if you had just done your part, we were faithful, we believed. Uh, if you had been God in the situation, if you had healed, if you had just intervened, things would not have gone south in the way that they did. And I think a lot of us think this way so much, like if you had just kept your end. But she still has her faith. So she says in verse 22, but I know now, 
Or, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So, okay, you should have been here, you haven't, but listen, even still, like, I know that God hears you. So Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha, she hears, okay, yeah, I, I, okay, we're, we're talking theology now. Okay, fine. So she answered, uh, yes, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection the last day. Okay, like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I get it. Like, there's this, like, big theological hope. Jesus said to her, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And I want to just explain what's going on right here. Okay, so, so just to recap, Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. She says, yeah, I know, at the resurrection. And here's, here's why we need to talk about this. Um, because for many of us, we think of the hope of the Christian faith, we think heaven, right? We think, okay, like one day I'm going to die and I'll go live forever in heaven. And yeah, that's part of it that one day, like you'll leave here, you'll go to heaven. But they don't understand is that heaven is only a very small picture when it comes to the, the Christian hope. Basically, here's if you were like nutshell the entire Bible when it comes to, okay, what's going on in creation and what's God doing in it, here's, here's what the story would be. It would be that, okay, God created everything from nothing. Then he created human beings and he created them as his image bearers. Basically, he created them to rule and represent him in creation. And our first parents, they rejected that. They decided, no, like what we want to do is we want to rule. We want to be the ones in charge. They took the only out they were given. And as a result, because they represented God's nature to creation, creation broke. Okay, so where there was life, now there was death. Where there was holiness and righteousness, now there was sin and there was pain. Like it just seeped into everything. And so the story of the rest of the Bible after Genesis 3, where this happens, is that God is in the process of redeeming creation. He's essentially taking this infinitely like split pane of glass with all these billions of pieces everywhere, and he's just like putting them back together in the most perfect way. And this is sealed in, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That, okay, like that what God is going to do is, okay, even though there's death now, even though there's pain and suffering, that, that one day there would be this thing called the resurrection. And it would be the end of death itself, that one day, like, like, like God will actually kill death, all right? And what he's doing in, in the meantime before then is, is he's forming it in such a way that, okay, creation will be able to withstand that. So where, where sin and, and brokenness has seeped into everything, he's removing them steadily, like, like, like venom from a wound, just in the, in the perfect way so that when the resurrection takes place, we won't want to go back to our sin. We want to go back to the brokenness of creation. Instead, we'll have learned where that leads because here's the truth, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, the hope of the Christian faith is not heaven. It's the resurrection of the dead. Like, that's what we hope for. We hope for the full redemption of creation. Let me say it again. The hope of the Christian faith is not heaven. I mean, heaven's part of it. Like, yeah, when we die, we'll go there, we'll be with the Lord. But no, like the hope is the redemption of creation. It's God restoring all this, removing all the death, removing all the pain, all the brokenness. And what we find in this story is that ultimately what the story is, it's a foreshadowing of what God's going to do. That when we look at the life of Lazarus, he's not just some random dead guy. Like, no, he's you and me. He's what God is going to do in all of us. He's a symbol of God's promise to us. And the way that Jesus uh, responds to him and interacts with him, what Jesus does for him is what he's going to do for you and me. And so here's Jesus saying to Martha, listen, I'm the resurrection. It's not, it's not a thing on God's calendar. It's me. 
I'm the resurrection. I'm the one who chooses who lives or who dies. I'm the one who, who ends death, okay? And the one who believes in me, I'll give that to them. And so verse 26, he says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the, the son of God who is to come into the world. And so she's kind of stirred out of this. And so her story goes on and, and, and Martha kind of walks away and her sister Mary comes and she does the same thing. She, she comes to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jump on down to verse 33. So here's what happens. When Jesus saw her weeping, it says, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And, and I like to, to just focus on that for a moment, okay? Because what we see right here is not that Jesus is indifferent towards their suffering. It's not that he's going like, oh man, okay, I'm going to take care of this or whatever. Instead, like, no, their grief affects him. And so it says in verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That seems kind of weird. Because we know why he's there, right? Like we're the readers. We, we know how the story is going to go. We know he's there to wake Lazarus up. We know that, okay, here's how God's working all of it together. He's going to produce uh, faith, which will produce eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and, and redemption from the brokenness of creation. Like, we know that Jesus has the end in mind. And yet, why is he weeping? I mean, more to the point, it's not like he has to wait that long for Lazarus not to be, like, dead anymore. Like, he's going to raise him with, within a couple seconds. So, like, why is it that, uh, like, Jesus is, is crying alongside everybody else right now? I mean, shouldn't he just kind of be like, all right, yeah, guys, don't, don't worry, dry the tears, I've got this. But again, remember, this story shows about who God is. Because Jesus is God in a body. He's showing us how God feels when we grieve and when we're in pain. The truth is, even though God knows how it's all going to work out, even though he's eternally is the scope of everything ever that will happen forever, he's moved by us. He's, like, he, he sheds tears alongside of us because he loves us, and what matters to us matters to him. And so this is what we see here, that Jesus weeps, okay? Like, and and I, just, I want to just hammer this home because some of us, we view God as a just-get-over-it God. We view God as like, just come on, suck it up, like, just move on. But what we have to understand is that, listen, like what he's doing right now, like he mourns right alongside of them. And the same is true for your pain and mine. So everybody sees Jesus weeping with them in verse 36. It says, then the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him? Like, hey, Jesus cared, guys. Oh, and see, they think Jesus is mourning in the same way. He's not mourning because he has no hope. He's mourning because their pain affects him. Still, verse 37, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And in that statement, um, what they're doing is they're actually missing the greater miracle. Like, here's what they're doing. Like, basically, what they're saying is, all right, like, Jesus, we, Jesus is known for healing people, all right? Like, couldn't he have healed this guy? Like, and what they're saying is, okay, they have no scope of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so what's happening is their, their prayer is so small. Their expectation for Jesus is so small. So temporary. It's, it's this, okay, he should do this. And he didn't do it. Oh, man. And for, come on, how about of us? Like, that's us as well. Like, we, we, we pray in the smaller scope. What we do is we go, okay, listen, we know people who we've lost. And we go, God, you didn't heal them. Like, where were you? 
Like, couldn't he who, who gave sight to the mind, like, I believe God heals. I believe that God raises people out of wheelchairs and, and cures cancer. Like, could he have done that now? And see, we're doing the same thing because we're not looking for the greater miracle. We're not looking for the resurrection of the dead. We're not looking for the, the restoration of creation. Look, I'm, I'm in that, that boat. Listen, how many times can I've prayed and I've fasted for those that I love who got sick? How many bedsides in the hospital have I been at as a pastor where I've anointed somebody with oil or, you know, I'm gut-wrenching in terms of prayer, breaking for, like, the hearts of those families. And I mean, how many people, like, listen, I pray with faith because I've, I've seen God heal people. And so I'm like, like, couldn't he have done it year two? I mean, like, like did, did the cancer have to remain here? Did the dementia, the heart failure, the ALS, like the disease, did that have to stay right now? Couldn't he who gave sight to the blind, couldn't he have done it right here? But here's the truth. Here's the truth, okay? The truth is this. Like, it's a smaller scope. And I would just say to Steve, like, if, if you've prayed along in that boat as well as I have, here's the thing that we have to understand. is that the answer to the prayer wasn't a no. It was a much bigger Yes. Like the answer to this, like we're, 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 we're freaking out, we're praying, and we're praying good things. The, the heart behind it isn't bad. But what we don't realize is that God is working a much greater redemption than that. He's giving us much bigger, yes, like the heartbreak is there, but the bigger thing is coming. And this is what we see in this story right now. Okay, so they, like we pray, like, shouldn't he have done this? But, God, but what Jesus is going to do, I mean, what, what's, what's bigger, to, to cure Lazarus's fever or to raise him from the dead? I mean, shoot, Tylenol can be the other one. But here's the truth. The truth is just as the bigger thing is about to unfold for Lazarus, one day it will unfold for us and all those who we've lost in Christ. Like one day, death will be eradicated. That's the promise of the story. And still, Jesus is moved by it. Still, Jesus, uh, with that in mind, grieves alongside of them. So he hears them saying this stuff. And look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. But again, he's not judging them for asking these questions. He's not judging them for believing that he heals, and, but questioning why he didn't in this situation. No, he's deeply moved by their grief. Again, not a feeling, not rolling his eyes. Oh, come on, guys, you should know better by now. No, just, your pain is my pain. I bear what you bear. So he comes to the tomb. John says it was, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, uh, there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Jesus, I don't know if you've been around death before, but it doesn't exactly smell like Febreze. Like, it's going to reek. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. Hey, Martha, remember that whole on the resurrection and the life thing? Remember that? Like, if you believe, if you place your faith in me, won't you see the victory of God? Won't you see what he does and does well perfectly? Martha, remember? So she goes, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, again, he's peeling back the curtain. Here's why any of it's transpiring in the story. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, Father, 
I thank you because you respond to my voice. I know that, but I want them to know that. So when we place our faith and hope in Jesus, he's showing us that it's well-placed. And so verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That's how they buried people. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He's the resurrection and the life. When he speaks, dry bones live. He still shows up at the tomb of every Lazarus. Yeah. Hey. For the one today, um, I just have a word for somebody. For the one who's living in the tension where Martha was. And all of us will be there at some point, so please don't think that I'm judging you. Where you live between this place of, okay, I know who God is, but what I've seen God do doesn't line up with who I know God to be. Right? Remember, like, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I still believe in you. I believe God will give you whatever you ask, okay? Like, you're living in that tension. Like, I know he's this, I just don't feel it in my bones. Here's what I want to tell you today. This is my word for you today. It's just really, really simple. Your hope in Jesus has not been misplaced. It hasn't been. For the one who believes he loves, you don't feel like he loves you right now. You know, I mean, you know he does, but he just doesn't feel that way. Your hope's not been misplaced. The one who believes he's compassionate, who hears you when you pray, but feels like he wasn't listening. Your hope has not been misplaced. He heard you. He heard you. He loves you. For the one who believes he heals, but you're so raw in your pain. Your pain is his pain. He mourns alongside of you. Your hope in Jesus has not been misplaced. And just as he raised Lazarus, you have the hope that he will restore creation perfectly in your life as well. And he'll do it in such a way that when you look back on it, when it's done, you'll say, I could not have asked for a greater outcome because he's doing it that well. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is why after Jesus is raised from the death or dead, his disciples who had seen him do this could go to their deaths and could say, oh, we'll fall asleep. But listen, he'll wake us up. And the reason he'll wake us up is because death doesn't hold him. He is the resurrection. And what this also teaches us, by the way, is that there's never a moment, there's never a moment where we can gauge God's actions as failures. And the reason that we can't is because we've never been on the other side of eternity. We've never seen the, the, the scope and the ending of the book. We've only been in the chapter that we're currently in. There's never a point where we can say God didn't come through. And the reason we can't say that is because we haven't seen the resurrection and the life. We haven't seen all of that redemption taking place. And so we're caught where Martha was pre-tomb being open. That's exactly where we're living right now. But the promise remains for you and me. And here's the thing I want to tell you today. Here's the thing I hope just soaks into your bones and into your heart. And that you just understand that like what we know about Jesus is that our hope in him is greater than this world's ability to hurt. You know why? 
because the truth is that Jesus and what he's doing in creation is just way stronger than anything this world can throw at us. So as we wrap up today, let's just take a second, seek the Lord together and pray and uh, ask him for some healing right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we seek you in this moment. We recognize that regardless of what we encounter, you're good. And we recognize that our hope is greater than this world's ability to hurt. Lord, we thank you because you are redeeming all things. I pray for the one who is living in the tension right now between the life that is to come and the grief that's very real, uh, that you create uh, healing for their hearts, you create renewed trust, and that ultimately, Lord, you let them know their hope has not been misplaced, that you're grieving right alongside them, and that you still are gonna work things out on their behalf. Lord, please, in this moment, create a renewed trust in you and that you just bring comfort through the, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. Listen, guys, no matter what you're going through right now, I want you to know that you don't have to go through it alone. So maybe right now we've uncorked something that it's pretty big. If you're on our online campus, feel free just to click that request prayer button to put you in a private room with one of our prayer counselors. Uh, you can always email us as well. If you email hello at solidground.church, let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know what's going on because you don't have to do life alone. Now, guys, thank you so much for tuning into Church at Home today. And uh, we'll see you next week for uh, Valentine's Day. It'll be a much different message. But know that we are praying for you and we want to be there for you anyway that uh, we can. So bless you and we'll see you next week.